0: Everybody and welcome to my niche podcast about the one thing I know about game shows, I suppose. I am your host Jordan Haas, and this is a fun episode. We're back to basics. It's Wednesday, like we normally schedule our game shows around. Wednesday is our deep dive days. Uh, just to put you up to speed, our last episode was our first guest episode. And it was a great episode. Thanks again to Oko Sinella for that. And probably some of you are wondering where was the pricing game spotlight on that? I gotta just tell you folks at home we don't do pricing game spotlights of guest episodes. I I, I feel personally, uh, this show uh, is deep dives into a certain game show and a pricing game spotlight and then some banter in between. With you, the audience, based on some comments and suggestions I have given. And uh, now that, that's kind of how it's going to go. Uh, so uh, the reason it, that that is the case is because essentially guest episodes are bonus episodes. Um, because I mostly can't book guests every week. And I'm a lonely, lonely man. And so I decided why not just, uh, just have those be bonus episodes. If we get a guest... Have them some random day of the week that's not Wednesday and have them up for you. They're not necessarily deep, deep dives. Um, they have choice of whatever game show they want. Uh, I'm trying to book a couple down the line here featuring some of our, my good, good friends from other uh, YouTubes and podcasts. So we'll see what we can do with those in the near future. Uh, they're not deep dives into those certain shows. Um, because essentially I'm always up to seeing like any event we get someone bigger or smaller or someone wants to watch Jeopardy or Wheel of Fortune after we've already done Jeopardy or Wheel of Fortune, we can do it again because I feel the guest episodes, it's the focus is on them and their game shows rather than me rambling for 90 minutes about a game show. So if we see three in a row of three people wanting to talk about the prices, right? We sure will. But these are bonus episodes, and uh, they're not necessarily the big old deep dives and opinion pieces that come with uh, normally these episodes. Uh, although even if they're new game shows, or ones we haven't talked about on this portion of the show, I, it will definitely overlap, and definitely I will repeat myself there. Uh, I have read a lot of comments and in, in criticisms, and yeah, I understand. It's, it's very boring for a single guy to talk for 90 minutes with nobody for a game show. I understand that. Uh, So I I guess I can try and talk to myself. Hey, Jordan, what's up? Oh, nothing much. How are you? Oh, just watched a game show. Really? Me too. Look, I can't create a parasocial relationship between you and, and a couple of other people. It's really just me. Take it or leave it which is another game show that existed in the UK. Uh, It had boxes, and it was a simple like true-false game, but that's not our topic tonight. Uh, Tonight's episode is actually going to be uh, one of the first GSN Originals, uh, and that is Russian Roulette. So I hope you enjoy uh, all the stuff I can ramble about for an old game show called Russian Roulette. First, let me just talk about GSN Originals in general. So Game Show Network is one of the big game show nerdy channels. You probably have heard of it, even if you're trying to do like a snide comment about the game show world, GSN, Game Show Network. And Game Show Network it was a big game show rerun channel for the longest time. You know, it's your match games, your in early days, price is right. But then because of CBS, they kind of said no more of that. Uh, A lot of Fremontal shows that would later end up on Buzzer, B-U-Z-Z-R, which is, I believe, now on Pluto Television and Twitch. So if you're not even a TV network carrier and you have the internet, and I assume you do because you're listening to this podcast right now, uh, you you have access. If you just go to Twitch or you go to Pluto, you can listen to some game shows, not even just YouTube tape trading. Also, big shouts to anyone... (laughs) Uh, in the tape trading world for just uploading game shows to YouTube, it makes these uh, episodes way easier to do. And I can't thank you guys enough. Hopefully in the near future, <laughs> we're on good graces and I can do like an SOS and get like bizarre old time episodes. Like, does anyone have an episode of Video Village or Shenanigans or or uh, Pictionary with Alan Thick? Or, or maybe, like, uh, You Deserve It from the modern ABC era. Things like that that always unravel in my mind of, some person might have that show in the game show world. It's not me. I, I, I was originally planning on recording these and then, like, saving it on a hard drive, but I, I'm bad with uh, file formats, as it turns out. Unless you want, like, a WMV version of, like, identity from, like eight years ago. Like, I don't I don't know how that's going to work. Anyway, so back to Game Show Network. Game Show Network uh, used to be just a rerun channel, uh, but they also tried to do something that's very rare, even from the 90s, and that was the first interactive game shows. There was like 1-900 numbers, and you can call in and basically play games. These were kind of the precursors to your play manias of the world, where people would pay five bucks to Basically, yell at Shandy about five-letter words that don't really exist in the puzzle, so they can win a hundred bucks. It's gambling, my friends. Um, but no, there's all sorts of GSN originals, such as Trivia Track and Super Decades, and and you, you also had like Throat and Neck, but that was wow. And then you had Extreme Gong. Oh man, we we could just do a whole like month of just GSN originals that were obscure. Um, but uh, later on in the world of Bob Bowden, who is, I'm going to say the go-to guy for anything game shows, especially game show network, he created a whole bunch of GSN originals. And this was in studio game shows. And they were from all sorts of different, uh, companies, uh, just to name as many as I can off the top of my head. You had whammy, the all new press your luck. You had friend or foe. You had cram. You had lingo. You had intuition. You had uh, you had this episode tonight, which is Russian roulette. And I'm 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 think I'm drawing a blank on, on one other one. I, I think I got them all. I got lingo. Yeah, I got them the big six. I always call them the big six because of an April Fool's episode where all of them were were topsy turvy, and it was very fun. Um, but later on in the world of GSN, when that would go away, a lot of these shows got canceled because uh, the budget and a lot of these shows were very, very cheap. Like we're talking like maybe a $5,000 payoff or a $10,000 payoff if it's a branded show like Whammy and not, not a lot. And then like some shows like, uh, like when tuition would offer $50,000, Russian, well, that was $100,000. We'll get to that in a bit. Um, So so eventually, they would get canceled. But they are in reruns to this day in some cases. And in later runs of GSN, they would try other original formats, like a revival of Lingo, or we brought back 1 vs. 100, which we talked about in the first episode of this very podcast. We talked about Minute to Win It being revived on GSN. We talked about The Chase uh, being brought to America on GSN, one of the better game show network originals. Uh, they've done a whole lot of different shows, ranging from like Catch Twenty One to an attempt at Pyramid to Divided and and other other game shows, C- uh, Chain Reaction, Idiot Test, which is now on GSN, uh, which Idiot Test was now on, on Netflix through GSN. You had a elevator, you had like all sorts. Of, like GSN is trying to go back to its uh, roots into game shows, but for every one of these good good shows, there's a lie detectors. There is a Think Like a Cat. There is a Win Sanity, a show that has a, maybe an okay premise, but really. His poor execution, to say the least. Uh, <laughs> but but there's so many good good shows, and some of these shows could have survived even more than two seasons if it wasn't for changing of the guard or the budget or whatever is the excuse you can hear in regards to the show. Uh, the one we're going to do tonight is Russian Roulette. Why do we decide Russian Roulette? Well, one, it was suggested by a friend of the podcast, Bort, ATX, on Twitter. Thanks, Bort. I read your tweet, and we're going to talk about this. Secondarily, it's basically, if you're going to go through all the GSN originals, I would say it's the great starting point show. Um, why? Because if we do Whammy, it's going to be Press Your Luck, and we have to do a whole Press Your Luck episode anyway, so let's just add it there. Friend or Foe? it's basically let's talk prisoner's dilemma we kind of already talked about that with the take it all episode we'll definitely talk about these two shows momentarily when tuition is is of course a game show about what you know in school so whenever there's a chance we will get to that cram is sleep deprivation so you talk about that when the time is right lingo is wordplay and one of the longest running gsn originals which would work then Idiot Test is one of my favorite game shows to come out recently, but recently got canceled, unfortunately. Um, some people are now finding it for the first time on Netflix. And hi, welcome to my podcast about game shows. You should probably listen. Uh, you had Chain Reaction. You have The Chase. It, it, there's, it, there's so many shows I can go along with, but I feel Russian Roulette is the one I kind of in- enjoyed the most. Uh, because essentially it's an original idea, and I love original formats. I like the fact it's a luck-based game show, but it's not like press your luck, and it's not necessarily Wheel of Fortune. It has its own set design, and it's very, very minimalistic in terms of set design as well. It is also trying to emphasize this spooky nature of the show. Now, I understand there's other been spooky GSN originals such as, for instance, uh, Inquisition, where it's four people playing and then the lowest scored in person gets eliminated. and Their elimination is simply they turn their back to a camera and you fade to white and we're led to assume they got shot to death or something. I don't I don't know. It, game shows are weird this way. But Russian Roulette is is a definitive game show here. Uh, because it really was cheap to create. On a on an okay day, they would give away maybe fifteen hundred bucks. On a on an even better day, uh, they could give away eleven thousand dollars. On a super rare occurrence, the hundred thousand dollars was won, and that and that's kind of I feel the appeal to Russian roulette in terms of a money format, is there is not necessarily a grand prize winner as it is there's a double chance of a winner. All right, so let me explain how the show kind of got conceived. Uh, it was created by then kind of assistant, kind of there and, here and there guy named Gunnar Wedderberg. Gunnar is nowadays associated with a lot of uh, reality shows like Private Chefs of Beverly Hills, Battle of the Wedding Designers, Invention USA. Uh, I remember him doing 13 Fear His Wheel for the CW. It, it's all sorts of weird, weird shows. His first claim to fame is the, being the executive producer for Russian Roulette. And the idea is essentially supposed to be that of it's spooky, it's sinister, it's Russian Roulette. So when you think we're having a game show called Russian Roulette where people are going to play Russian Roulette, they're trying their best of what is a way that you can make a game show like Russian Roulette but not over-dramatize the fake death sequence, but make it funny and make it chilling. They want it chilling, but they want it fun. And it's definitely... To say the least, because it is a GSN original. Cheap. Uh, it's really, really cheap. The uh the narrator is Burn Richardson, who you might remember from such uh shows as Arsenio Hall to uh well, family feud with the Richard Carn era. Uh and the host is no stranger to game shows, it is Mark L. Wahlberg. Mark L. Wahlberg Oh man, I I don't have time to go through his entire resume because I think that can take up an entire episode all on its own. A lot of people know him from Antiques Roadshow on PBS, but he was Temptation Island guy. He was the host of. He was one of the assistants on Shop Till You Drop. He was a host of The Big Date. Big Date. That's the that's that one show that you might remember because John Hamm was on there. John Hamm. What a hunk. Also. You might remember him from a modern game show called Moment of Truth, that lie detector game show. The list goes on and on. Mark L. Wahlberg is a very versatile game show host. He can play Sinister. He can play Best Friend. He is an all-around great host. So for a game show like Russian Roulette, this is kind of in his wheelhouse because he can play serious and he can play comedic at the same time. Let's explain the format, shall we? There, are, there is, picture the set first, almost like an airplane hangar, even though it really is just a studio space, with one strip light and four minorly raised stages, and then a giant platform that looks like a septagon. I think they were trying to go for a hexagon or something six-sided, but it's a septagon. And on the Septagon is a giant ring circle, think like minute to win it, with a light ring of timer, and then six giant cylinder trapdoors. Trapdoors in game shows? Well, I mean, this is kind of one of the first that kind of utilized it in a great way. You have game shows later on, such as Who's Still Standing that incorporated it. Hmm. To uh, game shows like Ellen's Game of Games, that pretty much blatantly took it into nowhere go, because the trap door to drop them if they get questions wrong. That's kind of the essentially the whole purpose of Russian Roulette, the game show. To all these things is contestants who don't know answers. If they f- fail, they fall through a, t- a trap door. Uh, depending on the place, it's uh, how do you format the trap door. Uh, the Trap typically, I believe, is a wingspan of, of your arms, essentially. So if you can never just T-pose, that's essentially about the size of the circle itself. Uh, mixed with maybe one or two, with like one feet or so. Uh, and that's your entire diameter of the circle. And depending on which game show, how far does it fall? Um, there's a light ring, and in the first season... If you fell, you fell six feet into a padding, like, like a crash mat, similar to that in stunt work. Uh, on the second season of Russian Roulette, because it only lasted two seasons, it was a three-foot uh, drop. Which is essentially just, they do like a trust fall where they land on their back and then roll with their knees off the crash pad and, and, and kind of exit through the gift shop back to the green room. Uh, b- below the stage uh, So Think minimalistic That's the only There's a small spotlight On all six drop zones But yet there's only Four contestants uh, Everyone on Russian Roulette uh, Starts with $150 Bingo bingo bink And only one will walk away With money The rest will leave with nothing because they they fell through a hole and we imply that they fel- fell to their death or something. I don't, I don't know. Uh, so, in round one, someone is randomly chosen to be uh, the one in charge. And they get to challenge one of the three remaining people on a question. They are shown the question, but not the possible answers. Then they have to come up with who they challenge and sometimes why, because you got to do something insulting or antagonistic. Like, oh, uh, Shirley doesn't really watch much soap opera, so I'll pick Shirley. Things like that. And then they answer the question. If the challenger gets the question right, they get $150 in control of the board. If they fail, they must play Russian roulette. On the first question, there is one drop zone which means a one in six chance of dropping. If they survive, well, they're still in control. If the little one red light lands on their little zone, they, they fall in the hole, that's kind of it. So it's like a Russian roulette situation. Uh, regardless of getting the question right or surviving, there would then be two drop zones, then three drop zones, then four drop zones, And finally, a full five drop zones. Of course, that means, as the game continues, uh, the luck will no longer be on the side of the contestant, as at the worst, there's a five out of six chance you could be eliminated from the game. So, when it comes to Russian Roulette, uh, the the game is kind of fun that that way. In the first round, $150 dollars per correct answer, and you pick your challenger. Uh, In the event that time runs out, whoever made the most money at the end of the round uh, is safe, and they get to pull a lever and eliminate one of the other three people. If they have money, it splits among the three people evenly. If it's someone with no money, no money. The whole idea of challenging somebody on the show is because you want their money that that's this that's essentially the main goal of russian roulette you want their money so you can stay ahead in the game so you don't have to avoid playing russian roulette so you don't fall through the hole so you can continue playing got it fair that's the slightly confusing thing of the show you need to challenge people to get money so you keep their money and they play the russian roulette and they get eliminated the way to do that, you have to play off the weaknesses of your opponents, having never met them, and, and probably never will ever again. Uh, in round two, when there's three people left, that's when Mark Wahlberg gets to introduce the contestants. Hi, you work in phone sales. What's that like? Oh, and this person is a mom. How is it like being a mom? Things like that. Then we go back to the person who is in—I believe—that was in the lead in the last round, and we go back to playing Russian roulette. And the thing to remember is, uh, in the event of a tie, Mark Wahlberg would spin the wheel, and whoever it was, regardless if you were top or not, you would fall down that hole, and the money would still be split. So hey, it's anybody's game. Anyway. So when in round two, we introduce players, and one in the lead gets control. Values are now worth $200 per correct answer, and the rules are still the same. We reset back to one drop zone and continue the whole thing again, but with three players. I believe in this round, there's now four possible answers to choose from. Once again, at the end of this round, if the chime happens, we spin the wheel, and whoever's in first place, they're safe. If if it's a tie, uh, it, anyone can have anyone can be eliminated. Whoever's in control gets to pick somebody to challenge. Whoever's in challenge uh, has to stay, has to get the question right to stay in the game, or face playing Russian roulette. And if they're wrong, they lose all their money to the person that challenged them. It's really weird. Anyway, so when they lose and they fall down the hole, it's down to two players. And now we're into round three. Round three is the final round, and only one person will keep their money. But now there is one final crucial thing in the game. And this time, their strategy, because their life depends on it. Mark's words, not mine. Um, In round three, now you don't have to challenge your opponent. In fact, you can play the question at $250 a pop, which means if you want to, you can, if you know the answer, keep answering and score ahead. So you are in the lead. Or if you want, raise, get enough questions, right. So then you can challenge and force your player to get it wrong at four or five question at a four or five drop zone spin of that wheel. Uh, What makes it also exciting is, well, it's the strategy of when time runs out, uh, whoever has the most money survives, and the person by default is eliminated, and they fall through the the trap door. Ha ha ha, it's funny. Uh, If in the event of a tie, because there has been chances where there's a tie, it's a 50-50 chance to determine who goes on to play the final round. All right. That, that's essentially Russian Roulette the first three rounds. And then we get to the big bonus round with the final player. One of my favorite in-game challenges. All right, let me explain this. Now that there has been three people eliminated and we have seen slow-mo footage of them falling through a hole and they're kind of having this, oh, disappointment look or an, oh, geez I don't want to fall look on their face. Uh, we, we go back to Russian Roulette. With the player now in the top left position, right next to this, this the, the the balcony, the, basically this like little bridge, to I guess get backstage or something. Anyway, so there is six drop zones still, and now there's a clock, and depending on which season, uh, there's money involved. In first season, we're going season one. There's five killer questions. And you have 60 seconds to solve all five killer questions. These killer questions are basically anagrams and math questions and something where it's it's a little dual-layer question for you to eat up at time. If you get the question right, you get $500. Get a question wrong at any time, or the 60 seconds is, is expired. You drop down the hole, and the game ends. So You can pass if it's a little too tough. But if if you don't have enough time, you will also fall. That That's part of the gameplay. Every 10 seconds, a drop zone will open. Basically, ensuing fear because clockwise fashion of the hole is about to fall on you and you're about to expire. Yeah, that, that, that's the drama. In addition to that, the clock of 60 lights... Ticks at one second per light, and at that 10 second, red light appears and a drops or opens. Uh, that 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 is essentially the Russian roulette in game. If you can get five questions in sixty seconds, you win ten thousand dollars. And then you have a decision to make: keep the ten thousand dollars you just won plus what you won in that front game, or you can take back the ten thousand dollars. And play one final game of Russian Roulette. If you can survive that game of Russian Roulette with the drop zones left on the board, you will win $100,000. That has been done a few times, believe it or not. Twice in Season 1, once in Season 2. Season 1 was Al and Todd. In Season 2, it was Maria. Maria. So in season two, the rules were similar to that, but instead of anagrams and math problems and things to think laterally, and you having to lock in your answer by saying my answer is whatever, um, this one is a little speedier, where it's three possible answers. They all are linked to something in in the trio, and you have to figure out uh, what the answer is. For instance, if you want Alvin, Simon, or Theodore, which one of these is the first name of President Roosevelt? Which answer is Theodore. Things like that. And there was 10 of them. For every correct answer of these was worth $300. But the rule still applied. Every 10 seconds, a drop zone would open. If you get a question wrong or run out of time, you drop through the hole. Uh, that, that's essentially the season two rules. I, I, and there's a big debate over which of the two is is better because one revolved around just answering five questions, which meant easier $10,000 wins, but more likely risk to play for the hundred grand versus season two, where it was a little tougher to get the $10,000, but a little easier in terms of answering the questions because they weren't that really difficult to figure out. If you actually, if it's just paid attention to the three and figure out the most blatantly right answer, uh, but three hundred dollars versus five hundred dollars meant that if you want to play the math game, if you the most you can win before getting the ten thousand dollars is four out of five. Four out of five put at five hundred dollars each is two thousand uh, dollars. In the season two game, it is nine out of ten. At $300, which is $2,700. Now, in season one, when it was the head to head with the final two people, it was $300 a question versus $250. I think season two is better because they increase per round. So it was a little easier to figure out 150, 200, 250, 300 versus 150, 200, 300, 500. Uh, I, I, I kind of prefer season two's method a bit more when it came to this, uh, Russian roulette is a very intense game show in this regard because they made a game show that was slightly intense and a little nerve wracking, but also very frantic. What made it so cool was the soundtrack. This was one of the few game shows that had an always going on soundtrack and that music from craig stewart garfunkel and at one point you could have actually listened to the entire soundtrack uh was real cool it was these electric guitars it was something that was like a little extreme because you know it's russian roulette you know you're trying to amplify the extreme nature that is you know russian roulette so it's so cool it was such a at the time it was a good I would say, uh, in terms of the cultural divide, because in the '90s it was the anti-'90s. The anti-'90s was, you know, we need to have the anti-game show. That was that was the time when when game show hosts had to be mean or or kind of you know jerk. That was your you don't know jack smartass host. That was your Chris Hardwick singled out or trashed, where it's just I'm gonna just pick on the contestants and call them losers. It'll be funny. <laughs> But uh, and, and on this show, he was a smart host because when the contestant gets a question wrong, they lose all their money, they're standing on a drop zone. He asked, do you have any last words? And then they would say something silly or ad-lib something, and they're like, hi, mom. And he would just make some smart-ass comment like, "She is not here to save you. Let's play Russian roulette. Do, 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 do. All right, pull the handle. Oh, yeah, one more thing. The handle, that's right. The handle is an important part of the show. In season one, it was basically computer randomized. They already knew ahead of time through a computer if you were going to survive or not through an RNG. On the season two version, the longer you pull the handle, the longer the spin lasts. And the spin was also computerized, but set at a normal uh, pace. Which meant it actually was more luck and a slight skill in you surviving the game. So you pull it fast, you would find out fast. You hold on to it, you can see the light pa- pattern before letting go, and the clock will go a little longer than that. So, so that was some slight differences in the Russian Roulette drop itself. One was randomized, the other one was, at your own discretion, almost like the stacker game at the arcade. Only instead of winning a sticky hand, maybe you'll win 200 bucks. Um, that's that, that's Russian roulette in, in general here. Uh, the, the soundtrack was always going on, and there was drop beats, there was drum and bass. You had a good transition from the anti-90s, smart-ass host being like a jerk to the pseudo what would later become like the big money game show this did come out in 2002 who wants to be a millionaire already existed you already had your greeds your chance of a lifetimes but gsn is gsn it's on like channel 450 whatever they don't really have the budget. However, $100,000 even back then is still a ton of money. Think your 21s, think your $100,000 pyramids. Give me hundred dollars is a rare occurrence on this show, but it's a feasible way to win on the show. On a regular day, it really is just like maybe $2,400, which would later become the standard when it came to most GSN original game shows, idiot test included. If they win the $10,000 uh, on the bonus round, it's addition to their money that they won in the front game. So it's $11,000, $12,000. And if they decide, you know, there's five drop zones, there's a good chance I'll lose the 10 grand. I will just stop and take my money. They get to pull the lever and then jump out of the hole and onto the stage platform where Marco Wahlberg is to see if they would have fell or not. If... At any either, they survive the final spin, or they they decide to walk away after the ten questions is up. They get to leave via the cool bridge, which is always a fun kind of you know uh, way of looking at it. Like three contestants fell to a mysterious zone, but one person lived to tell about it, and that's sometimes the in thing of Mark Wahlberg. It's you played Russian roulette and lived to tell about it. Newsflash everyone lived to tell about it uh when it came to injuries on the show because there was padding uh only one and that was a sprained ankle uh when it came to the show that's That's your other fun fact to come from Russian roulette also, there were a whole lot of celebrity episodes and and charity things, so you can go through like Gary Coleman was a contestant. Uh, But the ones that I think were notable were before they were famous celebrities. Perez Hilton, for instance, was a contestant on the show. Jorge Garcia. Hurley himself was a contestant on Russian Roulette. Uh, If you are a fan of G4 Tech TV like I was, uh, Alex Albrecht, who was uh, on the screensavers for a while, and Laura Swisher from Unscrewed with Martin Sargent were both contestants. And also what made it really funny was if you're a game show nerd, Larry Toffler was a contestant. Larry Toffler was the host of Finder's Keepers. <laughs> that is so weird. So if 90s was the anti-period, the period where, you know, everything is can't be all bright and colorful and and everyone's a loser and be an asshole about it in the 2000s was the start of the big money game shows, Russian Roulette was the perfect, and I will keep saying this, the perfect marriage between the two. When it came to the the edginess that came with the idea of the show's called Russian Roulette, to the fact we're playing Russian Roulette because it's six chambers, just kind of like the revolver of the gun, to Mark Wahlberg's hosting ability, to the fact there was some actual serious money to play for of 100 grand. That's what made this show work in so many ways. Uh, in addition to that, it is one of those classic game show moments too, where it is your bonus round is get ten questions in sixty seconds, which was you know dead in the nineties, uh, w- which is uh, twenty one in some cases. Uh, you're you're you gotta or, or uh, the the make the grade. There's always been that final round is like a speed round where you got to get X amount of questions right in a time limit. And Russian Roulette was was nice, 60 seconds to get 10 questions. I thought that was a nice ending round. Uh, killer questions is fun too because I love anagrams and math. But in terms of the play long factor, I mean, the trivia questions in the front game aren't the same as the ones that are in the bonus round. And that kind of, you know, is weird to, to, to suddenly have, like, a total different question type thrown at you in the final round. Um, but, but what I like is that this show uh, was was able to completely be a straightforward game show. Have the appearance of its edginess because you're falling through a hole, Provide a big money uh, cash pot if you had luck on your side that day. And at no point was it, you know, a boring format to watch. Because at every point in the game, there was this antagonistic threat with all the contestants. I'm challenging you. Then you're challenging me. Then I'm challenging her. Then she's challenging me again. Then I'm challenging. Things like that work. It, it's kind of the essentially the same reason of a spin battle on the price of your luck. It's that dual way of playing the game so you so one of you will eventually have to lose. Things like that is the competition aspect of game shows that a lot of people enjoy in the formats. Uh, the show itself is is a great way of doing storytelling on its own. It's four people who don't know each other and one will live to tell about it if they survive that's it that's that's the quick storytelling and it's like in this spooky airplane hangar looking thing with maybe six or seven lights and an audience applauding when people fall and they're going ah i think that, that that's that's the show that's it's man versus man versus man versus man and in the final round it's a man versus uh, essentially a man versus studio uh, when it comes to that final spin and that one final game of Russian Roulette, and uh, it, it it is the quintessential GSN original game show, it is one that could, I say, be revived at any time, especially now in today's weird world of game shows. I think GSN could easily revive this, but the problem is. We've already seen two game shows already now do the drop in the hole format, that being Who's Still Standing and Ellen's Game of Games slash Nowhere Go. Uh, on Who's Still Standing, it's basically head back and forth in a chess battle. If you fail, you fall down a hole and there's money and you can win a million bucks and Ben Bailey hosted. It was OK, we'll do that soon. And on Ellen's Game of Games, it's the Nowhere Go version on her show, which Definitely was in the early first couple of seasons of Ellen when she just fucking plagiarized everything. She did a through the wall, she did a hole in the wall ripoff. Ellen did a fucking hole in the wall ripoff. And then she did this. And are we supposed to assume that she invented this idea? Like, danger word is not, is password. I'm not going to get into a tirade here about Ellen's game of games, but let's just say. I'm pretty sure the show is just very generic. Generic to the point of, I think it's just because it's Ellen DeGeneres, we're supposed to like that show. Russian Roulette has no star equality unless you are a big fan of PBS's Antiques Roadshow with Mark L. Wahlberg. This is the perfect show vessel for him. And going on to doing later shows like Temptation Island where it's look at your girlfriend cheating on you and Moment of Truth where you admit uh, that your dad is a rapist. It it doesn't work for him. That's uncomfortable to watch. A show like – a perfect vessel for Mark Wahlberg is something like this where he can basically play the perfect host. Where he makes the contestant the star. He snaps and does a few snide comments and they spin the wheel, and they keep the game going. This game is very, very fast-paced as well. If you consider the fact that they maybe get through five questions per round, and there's three rounds of questioning, and that means 15 questions, and you add yourself the 10 questions in the final round, that's 25 questions per show. Uh, Of course, what makes it so out there is that the show round could end abruptly too, We could start round two. There is one drop zone. Who do you like to challenge? I challenge her. She gets it wrong. We're playing with one drop zone. Let's play Russian Roulette. Unlock her zone. Let's play Russian Roulette. Do-do-do-do-do-do. Pull the handle. Click, 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 click. And then it's on the light. She falls down the hole. Well, that's it with round two. Who will survive to play round, our final round, find out when we return? things can happen at any point and that's what makes the show very fascinating the show can cuz on this show as per the opening spiel of the show <clears throat> four strangers one goal to win a head to head contest but one wrong answer could be their last this is russian roulette that's that's russian roulette uh, and it, it's enjoyable so, it, it's the if I had to pick a show to be revived today, Russian Roulette would be that game show. It's still a, it's still a crapshoot considering Game of Games and who's still standing. But given the values of the questions, given the ten thousand dollar main jackpot if you get through ten questions in the final round, which is on par with the current Idiot Test Chain Reaction america says of kind of like a low figure but still kind of neat and then that opportunity to give it up for that chance at the six figures which is pretty much every deal or no deal contestant wanting the six figures i don't buy that they want the million they want a six figure outcome and then if they got their six figures then they're just playing the board i know that show i know what they want they want that hundred thousand dollar win on Russian Roulette, you want the hundred grand? You gotta, you gotta basically play it by putting it all on the line on one final spin of Russian Roulette. And it's dramatic. It's fun, and it's an odds-based battle. You could essentially create the same game experience at home. You can create the Russian Roulette board game using one die. One like, grab a Monopoly piece, grab a Clue board. Grab that one six-sided die and get your like trivial pursuit questions. And then just like pick a random question from a deck and then read it out loud and then pick someone to challenge and ask them to answer the question. And then if they are right, then you just add score. And then they can play on with two. And they open up the next deck and they get to pick a question and pass it to one of their people. And you keep that going until there's five. And then, you know, you just wait till like four, like eight questions are read or something. And then roll the die that way. So then it's, if you roll a one, you're out. If you roll a two, one and two, you're out. One, two, three, you're out. One, two, three, four, you're out. One, two, three, four, five, you're out. Things like that. You don't have to do the whole drop experience. You could just say up, you're out. That's it. And just rinse, repeat. You just create the Russian Roulette board game without creating a drop zone. If you want to create a false drop zone thing, get some pawns and uh, maybe like four solo cups and a note card and like put like a note card on top of a cup and then a pawn from Clue on each of the four and then if you want to make the full thing, you do two more cups and the same thing and, and just uh, treat it that way. If you want to create your own little board, I assume, like you really just need to roll a die, a one, six die. That's all it is. It's Russian roulette. Let's not get ourselves here. Um, but if the, the revival of Russian roulette, keep Mark Wahlberg, keep the values, keep the game as it is. I'm sure you can find the spooky lights. I'm sure with modern technology, uh, you can make it, you know, I'm not going to say spookier. I'm going to say more dark. Like you can now have it. So it's like an ultra, ultra bright spotlight now being shined on the person. So it looks like, you know, like that one scene where it's you're sitting at the chair, spitting things like that. And then if they fall down the hole, I mean, you could still make it the three foot deep hole. No one gives, no one cares how deep the hole is. I think Ellen's game of games trying to make the, the fall big is dumb. I think Russian would like making it like three feet or, or six feet. Who cares? It's just a dumb fall to eliminate a contestant. Like that, that's it. That's the whole essential hook of the game is seeing people fall down a hole. For not knowing trivia questions other than that it's a straightforward trivia game based out of luck and the luck is out of six so one out of six then two out of six is one three then three out of six which is 50 50. four out of six which is two-thirds chance then five out of six that's it. That's this show. It's luck. It's a great luck game. There's really nothing to change unless you want to throw a whole lot of money at it and go, what's well, five hundred dollars a question, a thousand dollars a question, two thousand dollars a question. five final questions were five thousand dollars each. and then if you get all six right, you get a quarter billion dollars, but you could risk it for a million, Like no. No, it, it's fine the way it is. It is the a perfect GS and original because it, in terms of budget, in terms of balance, in terms of storytelling, in terms of contestants they pull, they can get anybody on that show. I, I think it, it's one of those things where it could easily work to this day. It's not really a licensed property. It is a Sony picture Columbia TriStar game, so they could easily dig it up and play it again. In addition to that, it because it is a Sony format, you can easily push that into a, a network syndication market as well. Pair it with Family Feud if you want. That's what makes this show so exciting is that there is, it's more versatile, this format, than pretty much any other GSN original I can think of. They try to bring back lingo. Uh, is, is is sleep deprivation. There's a Netflix show that's trying to do that right now called Awake. Uh, Win Tuition would later have 5th Grader, and that kind of ate its lunch. Uh, You you had Friend or Foe, which is the Prisoner's Dilemma. And, I mean, that's also a show that could easily be a revival kind of thing. Press Your Luck is whammy. So it's just Press Your Luck. You just revive that version. But but Russian Roulette, standalone, easy game to replicate, easy game to play. There's play along with the trivia. You pull the lever, it's the drum of are they going to survive or not the pull. And and in, it's very lighthearted in the fact of the contestants, you know, smart-assing back the host and the host smart-assing comments back at them. Uh, it's very, even though at the end there's very high stakes, it's very low stakes in the main game because it's 150 bucks. If I had to change one aspect of the game... I would make it so you're guaranteed to survive if you are currently in control of the game and everyone is playing for a community pot and you make it so it's like $100 per question in round one plus a flat one, like flat $1,000 win or lose, whatever happens. So it's $100 per correct answer in round one, $200 in round two, $300 in round three. In the final rounds, five hundred bucks. Because if you're challenging to get the control, like get their money, and whoever's in the lead wins, like that that works. I understand that because that means now you can see why they're going to be desperate to knock out everyone to get the most money. And at the end, whoever is that last person standing gets all four money. So they're already guaranteed themselves six hundred dollars. If I was to do this version, I would just make it the pot itself starts at a thousand dollars. Correct answers are worth 100, 200, 300, etc. And you make sure that if you are in control, you can keep it for yourself because you want to keep that control for safety, or you can pass it to challenge someone to eliminate them from the game. Meaning that one player could, you know, go all in and just try and fill that bank as much as they can while the drop zones increase. But if they challenge and they fail, you know, then they're eliminated from the game. So now it really is just the personal, not the money aspect of the game. Uh, in addition to that, uh, the, another reason I, I think this show works in that pool is then at the end, the last person standing guarantees themselves the money. There's no real head-to-head for the value. It's really just c- control of the bright, sparkly light. And then the final round, because it's one, two, three hundred dollars per question, you make the final ten questions for five hundred bucks a piece, but you still have the ten thousand dollars if you win. So at the worst, you get forty five hundred bucks plus whatever you made. So is like six grand, which is like, oh, that's a good day at the park. Um and then you still have that one final spin for a hundred thousand dollars. I think that would be if I was to revive Russian roulette, just there's a community pot. And now your, the strategy of round three is played in the first three rounds for just more money to add to the pot. I think that would be what I would do. Other than that, I mean, I that's just something I would do. I could see why you would challenge for money because then it's nothing personal. I just want, like, your 400 bucks, And that's fine, too. Um, it, other than that, the only other way I could see this going is you make Russian Roulette an hour-long game show. Because everything needs to be an hour-long game show. Uh, where there's six contestants now, because it's Russian Roulette. You can have all six drop zones. And then you make it so it's $100 in round one, $200 in round two, $300 in round three, $400 in round four, 500 bucks in the final round, and it's the, adding the pot with the $1,000 And just because of the value of the questions, you make it so now it's $1,000 per correct answer in the final round. If you can get all 10, you get $25,000. Hey, just like a Hollywood game night. But you can have one final spin of that wheel, and if you survive Russian roulette one final time, you get a quarter million dollars. Things like that could easily work also for Russian roulette. Uh, You get to introduce six contestants rather than four. But four is a perfect number for a half-hour game show that's 22 minutes long. So I can understand that. Uh, in addition to that, Russian Roulette has been an international format. But every one of these versions is different. Such as one is based off pulse rate, in, uh, like the chair, where you have to keep your, your heart rate under control. Otherwise, you drop. Others, it's just to make it seem more intense because now they're nervous. But then again, they're on a game show, camera and lights on them, so of course they'll be a little nervous. Um, Others are just, you pull a lever and they drop in it's charity-based because it's all celebrities. Others is a team-based game show. The UK one is weird. The one in Germany was weird. Like, every single foreign version is just weird. And I can't really just explain every version of these of these game shows it, it, it's rough but I do know if I was to make a modern day Russian roulette I would either do half hour and keep it as is with like pretty much point by point for contestants that or make it an hour along with six contestants thousand dollars that start one hundred dollars two hundred dollars three hundred dollars four dollars five hundred dollars and a thousand dollars at the end um so that way there's a bigger pot to play with. and But the thing is, if it's an hour-long game show, you might have to stretch it out a bit. Or not. Who knows? But I know that when it comes to a, a game show like Russian Roulette, four contestants is played with four acts. And in each act, because in game shows it's a four-act structure, act one, we eliminate one of the four players. Act two, we eliminate one of the remaining three. In act three... Of it's the final two, with one of those dropping in the final act. It's that final round with the one final player. Usually, usually when it comes to an hour-long game show, it's six acts, which means six players, which means six to five, five to four, four to three, three to two, one's left to do the final round. Uh, So, so, so something like that could also work with Russian Roulette. I I love the soundtrack. I love the gameplay. I think it's very light, and I think it's a very versatile game, and I'm still shocked it hasn't been revived yet. I can understand why it hasn't, but I, I really do enjoy this game. I, I think it's one of the strongest-holding GSN Originals that wasn't based off a UK format, for instance. Uh, I value uh, GSN Originals more than a lot of other game shows because it tends to be that any other network doesn't really take a risk when it comes to a new idea. Game Show Network at least tries sometimes to, when there's a new idea, to just go for it. Something like Idiot Test is a very novel idea. Something like EmoGenius is a novel idea. And between those two, then you have your revivals of Chain Reaction or Lingo or Press Your Luck, And they try it there because they want to go back into the the bank of nostalgia of game shows with new formats. And you never know what they're going to do next uh, when it comes to GSN. And I think Russian Roulette, once again, best standalone game show. Uh, There has not been a CD-ROM version of the game. I heard there was one originally about to be made and then it just kind of just fell off the face of the earth. Um, uh, Other than that... Uh, that, that's it. Uh, there's so many novel uh, lines in the show. Um, for instance, you know, let's play Russian roulette, unlock the drop zone, let's play Russian roulette, do, do, do. But the big one is that final round. If the contestant fails, he drops out, and Mark Wahlberg is just standing there by himself. He's the last person standing on the show. And in, in the event of a time's up, all six drop zones are open. It's all black It all looks like a void And he's the last one standing, Aside from the audience applauding And he's just looking at the At the camera and going Well they dropped out of here With $3,200 Signing off This is Marco Wahlberg saying Watch your step Do 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 And that's also funny Because watch your step like Because they fell They fell in the hole i like that i like because it comes to a game show like this it is not that humiliating to fall into a hole and 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 it's very it's not as like bam grandiose as an ellen's game of games where it's you know you're ejected like like 101 ways to leave a game show for instance like i the whole idea of a contestant has to get eliminated it has to be this ultra humiliating way that makes it entertaining like nowhere go we have to make it very very big so it looks terrifying and the contestants are scared to death like you don't need that russian roulette was very good at making it look scarier than it was especially with season two A three foot fall is not, I repeat, not dangerous. It really is just like, essentially, like if you were a professional wrestler and you were on like the second or third turnbuckle and you're just falling on your back, like that's it, (laughs) like nothing else. Russian Roulette, it's one of those Hall of Fame game shows. It's one of those game shows, I can't, even though I've thrown a whole bunch of of ideas, such as an hour long in the communal pot, there's really nothing to change with the show. It's perfect as it is. And it's one of those slightly forgotten game shows of our time. And I I do recommend, if you can find it on YouTube or anywhere out, give it a watch. It is very fun. It is very silly. And it is this perfect, I keep saying this, perfect game show that was clearly a time capsule in that transitionary period of 90s to big money game show. Perfect. Complete with dramatic lighting. Complete with the $100,000 grand prize. But still being close to the edge, but still funny. It works on so many levels. And I i, I can't help but just give it applause. I, I love Russian roulette, and and I I I just want to see it return in some form or fashion. So so thank you all for playing Russian roulette. Now it's time for uh, the much beloved segment we like to call pricing game spotlight. <laughs> Today's game on the pricing game spotlight is Double Bullseye. Sound familiar? Originally premiered September 19th, 1972, tape day 0032D. Placed on the turntable, it is essentially one of the first and only two player pricing games. That's right, this is a game that's played with not one person coming on down to play a pricing game, but two. Here's how it works. There is an item up for bids and it just like the price is right. You got to get closest to actually press out going over and you come on up and you have your stay at a podium. Then we bring another person up to come on down with the remaining people and there's another one bid. And then that person who wins that one bid goes up to play the pricing game along with the other person almost like a pseudo showcase kind of game. Now, if you remember, in the last episode, we talked about Clock Game. Clock Game, similar to Bullseye 1, you had to give a price, and then you would be told higher or lower. On the original Bullseye 1, you know, you only had seven tries. On Clock Game, you had 30 seconds to guess as many times as possible. Double Bullseye, well, you have to go back and forth to figure out the price of the brand new car. So one person bids this. They were told higher or lower. It goes to player two, who then gets to guess higher or lower. And then it keeps going there. So 3,000 lower, 2,000 higher, 2,500 lower, 2,200 lower, 2,100 higher, 2,140 higher, 2,180 lower, 2,150 lower, 2,142 higher 2144 you did it there I just essentially role played an entire episode of the bullseye it's that's the game so <clears throat> After winning a one bid, the contestant came on stage, and a new player was called the contestant's row to participate in the second one bid round. The winner of the second one bid would then join the first waiter on the turntable. The two players proceeded to alternate giving bids on a car. A $500 range was later added to later playings, with the host indicating whether the correct price was higher or lower after each bid. The first player to guess the exact price won the car. Double Bullseye is the only pricing game in the history of the price is right to have featured more than one contestant, and the only pricing game guaranteed to produce a winner. That's right. This is also the only game where, if you want to win a car, you have the best shot of winning because it's, you know, one versus one. Here's some history of it Double Bullseye lasted from September 19th, 1972, until October 10th, 1972. Meaning, that's right, it's the second pricing game that we have featured here that has unfortunately had to be retired. Let's play that losing horn. <laughs> Double Bullseye was created to replace Bullseye 1, which gave a single player seven chances from zero in on the price of a card in the same manner of the game. The Swiss producers deemed the original game extremely difficult to win. However, despite that perception, at least 2 players of Double Bullseye ended in fewer than seven guesses. What? The loser Double Bullseye was still eligible to be in the showcase based on their one bid winnings. Double Bullseye was only played on half-hour episodes in which the top two winners on the episode automatically compete in the showcase. At least one pair of Double Bullseye contestants went on to face each other again in the showcase. So, <clears throat> just 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 so we're, we're clear here, uh, this was in the half-hour version. A lot of people when they watch prices right nowadays know that big beep-boop-boop-boop-boop boop, boop, boop wheel that, that's the, called the, the showcase showdown. Whoever wins Showcase Showdown goes on to the Showcase. Uh, The order in which they spin the wheel is determined by how much money they've won up to that point in the game. So before that was the case, it was before we had the boop, boop, boop wheel and luck and and just landing on a dollar to win some money. uh, It was just whoever was the two who had the most money goes on to the Showcase. So it was three contestants typically because... Three people would win a prize and come on up to play a pricing game. And depending on if they win or not, edge their score higher or lower. Uh, The format on that is a little weird because you you can figure here that whoever is playing for the car probably had the lowest one bid if they were smart. Otherwise, it's just whoever had the highest one bid would would win if there was an all three fault. So it was all luck-based, too, which I, sure... Um I I think the the showcase wheel isn't good. We'll get to that showcase wheel probably in the mainline the price is right episode. Anyway, so double showcase, I mean sorry, double bullseye is the only pricing game in the history of the show that actually used to showcase podiums as part of gameplay. So when the two contestants came up, they had the showcase podiums. Now imagine modern day with those. Wow, isn't that interesting? Uh, which, you know, what makes sense, considering that uh, anyone who, who is familiar with the idea of two contestants bidding on a car, uh, higher, lower, higher, lower, would know that this is essentially what is played on the Australian version of the Price is Right, called the Showcase Payoff. Double Bullseye, since 1973, has been used in various incarnations of the Australian version as part of the Showcase. Today's top two winners on half-hour episodes, or the winners of the two showcase showdowns on hour-long episodes, this is Australia, by the way, Australia would play the game with the price of today's single showcase within a $100 range to determine which one would play in the actual showcase round. The contestant would then have to successfully rank the individual prices in the showcase from least to most expensive in order to win the showcase. The format was used in the 2001 Philippine version of the game as well. So so if that sounded familiar to you, you're probably from the Philippines or Australia. Anyway, <clears throat> if we can keep going here, well, like its predecessor Double Bullseye was swiftly retired on the daytime show, that's why we played those losing horns. With well, it last, if it's four times, it was played on October 10th. It was always played second and never appeared on an episode without the game Double Prices. Remember Double Prices? That's the one that we talked about earlier, the simple AB game. I I like it. The Forgotten Gem, Double Prices. The A, B, which one of these two is right. The pricing game takes the least amount of time to play. That's the third game. Grocery Game was played first on Double Bullseye's first three times it was played, and Bonus Game was played first on Double Bullseye's fourth playing. Uh, Okay, that's, that's a trivia fact. Double Bullseye is also one of only a few pricing games to make its first experience on a version other than the CBS edition the others being one right price and most expensive, but shh haven't been played twice on the thin running syndicated nighttime version hosted by Dennis James. It is one of a few pricing games that after it was taken off the U S rotation stayed in foreign rotations. So the double bullseye is a weird game. I like the idea of two people trying to figure out what the price is. And I guess they didn't really bring up this fact in the, in the show. Double Bullseye was kind of always there to be a pricing game when the price is right in its original intention. In this messed up version of the Dennis James version, according to the original pitch film that Mark Goodson tried to sell to advertisers and networks, this is the messed up version. They would get kids, children, like actual children to come up on stage and play this Double Bullseye version With the winner getting a car for their mom. That is a lot of pressure for a kid. And that's very messed up. But that was the the case. So it seemed like this was always kind of a in the event of break glass. And someone thought, well, we can't have kids do this for their moms. We have to have the one bid. So why don't we just do that? And, hey, it's four contestants now, so everybody wins. That means more opportunities for someone to make it to the showcase. I, I guess that's kind of what they were going for when it came to this version of the Price is Right in Double price in Bullseye. But to me, I, I Double Bullseye is good when it is like the Australian version. Like, it is the showcase round. In fact, this could easily be the showcase in the American version if they ever decide. hey, we had it with just... Going through two individual showcases, let's just have a guaranteed winner now, and in the show with a guaranteed win of whoever can correctly identify the price of the showcase wins. And then in this version, because it's American, we need to stretch it out for time, you just have it so there is no, we give you a hint, it's $22,000. You see all the prizes, and you straight away, $20,000, higher, $30,000, lower, that's how you'll get it. I, I kind of think that is a way to, to re, refix this game, is if it just becomes the new showcase, which I know will never happen, because I think a lot of people like the idea of the showcase as it is now, with individuals, and if you're closest, you not only win your showcase, you win your opponent's showcase. It's something like that is always fun. In an Australian version, it, it's a good like deciding to see who decides to go into the showcase. I get that. That I understand as well. It has one extra hurdle to get to the showcase to win all the prizes. That I understand. But Double Bullseye, when it's playing for a car, it's a very novel idea because you're playing with two people, but it would never, and I will still say it, I don't think it would ever work when it was played with the big wheel. Because then what that means is you would have four people spinning the big wheel. Now... Uh, the case in point of if it was played on a, on the Big John PC Games version, what they programmed it to be is if you won the car, you got to spin the big wheel. Whoever did not win the double bullseye game doesn't get to spin the wheel because technically you didn't win, which I felt kind of gypped. But I understand why, why they did that. Uh, so, so double bullseye is, is a versatile game. I'm not saying it's it's a bad game. It just was a bad fit for The Price is Right, especially when it came to it's that one person or their one game. I, I think that's that's the the appeal of The Price is Right as well, is with every act on The Price is Right, except for the first act with the monitor-carry version because there's two pricing games played, every act is played with one contestant coming come up on stage and having their three to four minutes in the sun and playing for either a trip, a, pro, a, a car, some cash, something. And it's their moment to scream and holler and cheer, get cheered on and have their moment to get help. That doesn't happen on the double bullseye game. Because it, it's two players. Who are you going to root for? They're against each other. But one's guaranteed a car. Oh boy. It's not. It's not for me. But... I, the appeal of this game would later go on to Australian versions and it, it would work in other editions of The Price is Right but of course it failed next time on The Price and Game Spotlight we'll take a look at five price tags ooh alright so that, that, that's going to do it for us here on Game Shows I suppose if you have any questions or suggestions you want to throw my way I'm on Twitter at jordha, J-O-R-D-H-A. You can send me an email at jordanhaas at gmail.com. We'll probably answer it. And if you have any ideas of guests to appear on bonus episodes of the show, please let me know. I'm very, very lonely. But, until then, this is Jordan Haas reminding you to watch your step. Also, Big smooch. Mwah!